Hello and welcome to the Limitless Landscapers podcast. I'm Paula and today I'm chatting with Monique Allen of The Garden Continuum and she's also a business coach as well. So I'm going to be chatting to her about business, landscaping and everything in between. So let's go to the show. As the founder of The Landscaper Circle and The Limitless Landscapers podcast, I am here to help you get more money, time and freedom to make your life and business truly limitless. Through my experiences as the owner of a garden design and landscaping business and through tried and tested methods, if you want help with the marketing, managing and growing of your business, then you are in the right place. If you are a landscaper, garden designer, horticultural business or a supplier to the industry, be sure to hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. Now, let's get back to the show. So welcome, Monique. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I've been enjoying listening. Thank you. Can you start by telling all my listeners a bit about you, the garden continuum and everything else? Yeah, absolutely. I, I love your podcast so much because you know <laughs> so much and I'm like, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so, um, I am a professional landscaper. I've been so since I started at 18. I've been doing this for 37 years. So your listeners wow. can do the math. And I started freelance. I started yeah. just, you know, a job when I got out of high school. I was in college, just didn't have a clue, really didn't have a clue. And just, I've always been physical. I was a dancer, I was a bodybuilder. And so being out was great and it just felt so good and I just kept doing it and I don't think I had any real intention of what was going to happen and you know mind you this was in the 80s people didn't talk about entrepreneurship there was no internet there were no cell phones I mean it was a different world so but my father was self-employed my father's an immigrant from the Middle East an Armenian from Syria and so self-employment was just what you did it, it wasn't like it was faddish or I was hearing it. It's what I lived. The thing that really cued it for me is that I ended up going to school for entrepreneurship. I got my degree at Northeastern University in entrepreneurship and I paid my way landscaping. And when I finished, people said to me, so now you're going to get a real job, right? <laughs> of course. And, <laughs> you know, spun me a little because clearly landscaping wasn't a real job to them. And, and I did the work. I put together a resume. I put it out there. I did the interviewing and it was miserable. It was miserable. And I was already working. And it was like at that point where like a light bulb went off in my head. It's like, dude, you just studied this. You have a degree in entrepreneurship. I was simultaneously doing the studies as well as horticulture. And so I just dove in and got my master's certificate. And then it just, you know, it just kind of kept building. And then the next aha moment was when I realized that I needed to create structure around my business. And so it's like each decade kind of has its like aha shtick where I had to like make a change. And now, you know, I'm, I'm wrapping up my fourth decade. So it's been a lifetime journey and I love it. <laughs> I, I do not love it any less. It is always interesting yeah. uh, and it's, you know, like anything, it continues to be a challenge and I have to keep leveling up. And are you still on the tools as a landscaper or are you just managing? So I don't have to land, I don't have to physically landscape yeah. anymore. So I full on did work for 15 years. 
Yeah. And then I started to wean myself out. And by 20 years in, I did not work in the field at all. And now, you know, I still, I'm on job sites. I manage job sites. I will place plants. I'll buy plants. But even then, I have a team that does yeah. most everything now. And mostly it's me getting out there because I miss it. And yeah. I want to get my hands dirty. And, and I'm a good trainer. So I also get out there and do training. Yeah, I think that's a struggle. A client of mine who is now off the tools, he now struggles with the fact that he feels like he's got nothing to do. Yeah. Have you experienced that? And, and he loves landscaping. So he he loves landscaping. He still manages the teams, but sometimes he just feels like, oh, I've got nothing to do. Yeah, I never have nothing to do. <laughs> never have nothing to do. And I think, I think it's probably not that he has nothing to do but he doesn't know how to shift the doing from the active technician to yeah. what it means to make that transition to manager and then what it means to make that transition into leader. And in my coaching practice, which I think is hysterical, both of our coaching practices have the same initials. I thought it's like divine providence. We need it to meet. But what I see is that it's it's not so much having nothing to do. It's not understanding what the next actions really are. And then this gremlin in the head that says that somehow any action that is not with a shovel in your hand doing is, is going to be perceived as you don't work hard. And that's a really hard mindset to shift, yeah. but it's one that is critical to shift in order to level up because to level up, you you know, you can't keep doing it. Yeah, 100%. I also want to talk to you a bit about what being a woman in a male-dominated industry. Obviously, I am also <laughs> said woman in a male-dominated industry. But I've had been having a few conversations lately that sometimes it can get you down because you've got a lot of, I don't know, they get heard more. Being a male, sure, they're heard more. So I wondered how, you know, you dealt with this, come across this. Yeah, that's been an evolution. That's a fabulous question. And I think it's a really, really important question because you also have um, soft-spoken males that are incredibly creative, heart-centered, amazing stewards of the land, and they don't get hurt either. So I think it's a really important question that you're asking. For me, so again, I'm the firstborn of a Middle Eastern man and Middle Eastern culture would much prefer that to be a boy and, you know, women, not a woman, but my father was quite progressive and both my parents were. And so I was, I was treated as absolutely capable right at the beginning. And I was expected um, to be strong and outspoken and capable. I mean, even to a fault, like at some point it was like, God, can't I just be a kid? You know, but so I definitely had, and my father was also quite brutal. So I had to learn really early how to, how to be how to be in a room. But I think that initially what I did was I decided to put on the mantle of male. So I can be a guy, I can do anything you can do, I'm just as tough as you are, you know, trucks, machines, motorcycles, like I wanted it all, I did it all. And it was super fun, but ultimately I'm not a guy. And where it really started to shift for me was that moment where I decided I was going to have children. And, you know, it's really hard to walk around pretending you're a man, you know, when you're out to here. So 
I had to, I had to make a shift and it wasn't like it was like fully like my frontal lobe. It was like my whole body was shifting and I needed to sort of embrace this. And I really wanted to feel that mother. I'd never wanted to be a mother until that point. And what was really interesting about it was I always thought it was an either or, right? It's like a male dominated industry. So you had to be able to like run with the guys and, or you were a woman and you did it really different. And what I found was that when I was in a room with contractors, I could totally handle myself in that room, but I felt like a designer. And then when I was in a room with the designers and I'm a trained designer, academically trained designer, I felt like a contractor. So I was realizing that I was struggling to fit in and I kept trying to figure out which one do I belong in until one day I woke up and I'm like, oh, it's not an either or. It's a yes and. We all have masculine energy. We all have feminine energy. And so the key is to understand the balance. The key is to lead in a different way. And so still to this day, I was actually at a meeting last night, an advisory meeting at a technical school, you know, a a vocational school, and one of a few women and found my voice being talked over. And when I, you know, okay, let's move on. Let's move on. Excuse me. No, we're not moving on. We have to go back to that subject. It's critically important for our industry. And so unapologetically making space for yourself in the room when you have something valuable to add. And I think that that's just a practice. And then just doing the yes and masculine energy, feminine energy, they both belong in the room. I think it's great because I think I just feel like I'm talking to myself. (laughs) but further on because essentially I've always struggled with that I've come across very I never wanted children I told my husband I didn't want children then I obviously lied because I've got two yeah (laughs) same thing it's crazy I just wanted a career and I wanted to be the best and I wanted to sell loads and you know my career started in sales and marketing so it was it was all that until my husband dragged me over into landscaping and uh, yeah I've always struggled with kind of very male energy and then like you when I'm in a room I don't know where I fit because I come across as a contractor, but then everyone thinks I'm the woman. So it's a designer or are you a planter or, oh, you must be the admin side. You know, I can't possibly own a landscaper business. Can't possibly. It must be. Right. (laughs) So it's exactly the same. And I think it's relevant to a lot of us in the industry of not being able to stand in our power and hold that space for ourselves to say what we need to say. Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) absolutely and I think that you know it's it's this it's a practice that starts as an inner practice and unfortunately you know the the way women are are brought up and the way men are brought up is it still has so much baggage like you know that it's this either or one or the other and so I think that that work it really becomes this inner work that it's not which room do I belong in. It's that I absolutely 100% belong in both rooms, that I have so much valuable perspective to offer the contractor room because I can actually see, sense, intuit, and transmit what's coming out of the designer room to help those contractors. And when I'm in the designer room, I do the same thing. And so I think ultimately for those your listeners who are feeling that, I think rather than feeling lesser because you can't choose the room, you you want to start to embody the power in that, the power that helps you to help each of those rooms actually understand the other room better. Because there's always going to be people that need the polarization, 
But if you're feeling that feeling of like, I don't know which room to be in because I feel like I belong in both and I don't belong in both, is you're a conduit. Your energy is conduit energy. It's so important because it elevates the industry by giving voice to the opposing sides in the opposing rooms. And that's how I've done it. And I've found that I've been able to find my place in every room. It doesn't matter if it's the landscape industry or something different. I'm still able to find my place. I just keep bringing that in here that I am here to yep. create a benefit. It's not an intrusion. 100%. And I know you talk about lifescaping. Can you tell me more about what that means? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. What, yeah. Happening? Well, you know, I wrote a whole book about it. Yeah. And that's so what happened for me is that, again, if you look at the fact that I'm in my fourth decade, when I first started, I was conventional because I didn't know any different. Right. So we used, you know, like 10, 10, 10 fertilizer. We fertilized everything and we soil tested nothing. If there was a bug, we killed it. If there was a weed, we sprayed it. I just did what I was told and I didn't know to think about it. And in the second decade, I got uh, invited to be on a conservation commission. And I spent uh, almost 10 years, it was nine and a half years or nine years or something on a conservation commission. And I got my Massachusetts environmental protection. I got the certification that they offer for conservation commissioners. It was paid for by my town. And I just dove in and my eyes just like, Oh my gosh, right? And that's simultaneous to like the organic movement, sustainability movement, lead certification, sustainable sites initiative. It was just coming at me so much that I was trying to figure out how do I evolve into something that feels like completely right to me? And what ultimately came out of it was, okay, there's landscaping. Landscaping is creating these incredibly beautiful places to look. I mean, whether it's nature landscape or a landscape that's built, it can make your heart just flutter because it's so beautiful. A lifescape is on the continuum where it suggests it's more than beauty, it's vibrational energy that actually changes how you feel, how you behave, how you can regulate. So that psychosomatic regulation, how we can kind of create that regulation, and that if we can do that, we actually have the ability to completely alter the experience of home or work if you're doing this in a work environment. And what I was trying to get away from were the two things that the market, which has become very commoditized, has moved to, right? Which is featurescaping, you know, I need a patio, I need a hot tub, I need a fire pit, I need a swing. It's just like thing on top of thing, right? So it's featurescaping or the other version, which is deadscaping. It's I've actually shoved these plants in the ground that don't belong there on compacted soil with no organic matter. And you just literally see the devastation in the plant, right? So lifescaping was saying, okay, we need organization. We need vitality. So we need health. And we need vibrancy. So I call that wow factor. And writing the book was an exercise in taking a methodology and codifying it because I could never say it that quickly. Yep. I, I didn't know how to tell my clients what I was doing. I didn't know how to train my people. And so I wrote the book that taught me what I was doing. 
And then I hoped that by writing the book, I would offer this idea out, you know, for a whopping $25 to anybody who wanted to learn it rather than hoarding it as something that needed to be mine. I felt like it was, it was something that would actually elevate the industry. And yeah. so that's why I I love it and you're all about the energy which is what I love and my last podcast Manifested Magic has had more listens than a lot of my other episodes so far and and yeah I love it are you into that manifestation totally yeah yeah totally so I do a lot of work right now I'm studying yoga philosophy and I've been you know I've been studying yoga for a really long time I've always been a spiritual person, but always kept that pretty tight to the vest, you know, close. But now I am working very closely with my management team um, so that we can learn how to transmute negative energy into positive action, imperfect action. And so that we really shift this idea of complaining and kind of bitching about work all the time and other people and instead saying, I actually own my experience, all of it, every single thing I own. It doesn't matter what's going on, how I feel I own. What is actually happening is data, yeah. but how I feel, how I interpret, that's my own. And so we do a lot of work here. I meet with my management team once or twice every month, depending on how busy the season is. And like last meeting, I had them watch some yoga philosophy and we discuss these philosophical ideas of how we actually center in our ownership and agency to divine our own experience. And when we do that, then we are able to actually manifest from that place yeah. of really being clear. I loved what you said in the last podcast about, you know, people will be like, well, why can't I manifest anything? It's because you're wishy-washy. Yeah. One day you want this, one day you want this, then you second guess yourself. Like, it, it all starts with you yeah. and, and in teams, it starts with you, but then as an owner, it really does become important that you start stewarding your people. Yeah. Um, I call myself a gardener of people. That's my title now yeah. because I can't grow my business without really tending my people. Oh, 100%. That's a big thing. And do you think by working on your energy and the, this positive action, imperfect action, do you think that's made a difference to the business and how the people are performing within the business as well? Yeah, I think one of the biggest things is the permission to be imperfect. Yeah. And I think a lot of people come to this being answer driven. There's a lot of proving, a lot of performing, a lot of posturing, you know, that happens. This is part of the brawn of the bro club. It's like, yeah, dude, I know. You know, and you realize that this is, these are defenses for not knowing, but we need to normalize not knowing. It's an yeah. incredibly, incredibly difficult industry. You know, we, you know, there's, it, it is utterly impossible to know it all in this industry, right? It would be like, it would be like telling a doctor they should know absolutely everything if they become a doctor. It doesn't work that way. We have too many inputs. So, by normalizing that imperfection, by normalizing the things that we're really good at, that actually normalizing genius yeah. and then normalizing excellence, competence, and incompetence so that, you know, the quadrants of competency, what ends up happening is that the decisions that get made in your company 
get made a lot more collaboratively. And if you're an owner and you're feeling the weight because you've got six employees and you feel like you have to make every single decision, as you start empowering your people, you realize that part of your job is literally to open your hands and to let go. Let them be imperfect. Let them make a mistake. Teach them how to look at the mistake, take it apart, use the data to make better decisions. And then little by little, people aren't working in fear. And so business just starts to skyrocket. And even if growth, like becoming a huge company isn't your gig. I mean, I wanted to be multi seven figures. That was important to me. That's what I, what I grew to. Then I got there and was like, Hmm, like adding another million. I'm not sure that's going to do it for me. Yeah. You know, so you realize at some point that it's something deeper and something bigger. And that's where you then go in and do that energy work because you find that the work goes deeper and it's richer and it's more satisfying and you become liberated as the owner. Yeah. That's, that's the critical thing. Like after this, I'm going away and then I'm taking Monday off. Nice. And my team is doing it and it's awesome. That's what we all wish for. What's your, what is one tip you could give to people who want to get to that sort of level, the seven figures beyond what sort of one tip or piece of advice you could give them? Because sometimes it can feel a bit out of reach. I get that. Again, I would come back to mindset plays a huge part in that. But what would be your piece of advice or tip for them? Yeah, mindset definitely plays. I have a course on my website called the Landscapers Freedom Formula. It's a really low cost course. And the first module is mindset. I mean, it's true. Mindset really is everything. But I think that our coaching differs a little that you're really looking at the emerging entrepreneur yes. and I'm looking at the entrenched entre entrepreneur like they're having some entrenchment problems and the critical thing that I tell them is you have to spend more time on the business and oh, in, in it yourself so the problem is that most people who start landscape companies are technicians and they believe that growth is connected to marketing which I'm not saying is bad I'm a total like marketing geek. I do inbound marketing, education-based marketing, and I love it. But if you aren't strategically doing the work on the inside of your business, like I can't tell you how many people I talk to that have no org chart and they'll tell me, oh, there's only three of us. We don't need an org chart. Yeah, you do. Because you need today's org chart and then you need tomorrow's. And then you need the one that's like, you know, the stretch goal. You have to have that because then if you don't have that organizational chart, if you don't do that inner structural work, just think about building a patio and deciding that you don't really want to think about the foundation. You just want to go buy patio stones. You don't want to think about foundation. As a landscaper, you would be like, that's idiotic. You would never do that. The patio won't last. Take that amazing knowledge that you have about building long lasting, amazing landscapes and take that and look at your business and use the same intellect and you'll find the best possible thing you can do is work on the business and in you. Those two things will amplify your business so much. You'll like literally, little painful. <laughs> I'm not going to say it's not a little painful, but it'll be mind blowing because you'll see really great leads in your company.
It's almost like with the organizational chart, that's sort of like one element of almost like a vision board. I create vision boards regularly and think about the things I want in my life and kind of like your organizational chart now as it is. And then later, it's like your vision board for your company, how you see it progressing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a football team, a soccer team, they're not going to function if the positions aren't clear. You have to be able to peripherally lean into, believe in, and anticipate your position partner. Like, who is on your left? And yeah. in business, if we don't know that, owners become really isolated and they're tearing their hair out and there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of struggle. And I'm not saying that all of a sudden business will be like totally easy because, you know, there was a pandemic and nobody knew that was coming and everybody had to struggle through it. So there's always going to be these hurdles, but you want the hurdles to be the kinds of things that you can look at and go, all right, all right, I got this. Let me see. How am I going to do this? Oh, as opposed to, I can't go to work on Tuesday. You know, like yeah, that difference is really important, mostly because the owners that I've met, and I'm sure the owners that you meet, they do not shy away from hard work. Yeah. These yeah. are kick-ass people that can work really hard. So the key really is to move them out of struggle. That's cool. Right. It's been fantastic talking to you. So yeah. I, <laughs> I will stop recording there, but I need to ask you another question. So. Wow. So that was quite a podcast episode. Uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to Monique as much as I did. I will drop links to anything that will be of interest to you guys as landscapers, designers and horticultural businesses where Monique can help you. We, of course, have the brand new masterclass called Discover. Um, if you go to the landscaper circle forward slash discover, you can get your name down and get that sent to your inbox as soon as I have recorded it, which is imminently. Also, TLC is open for membership and I do have a wait list going for our Accelerate Mastermind. So if you are looking for that next level in your landscaping or garden design business and you want to be part of a group mastermind, or you just want to work with me one-to-one, -one, that is the way to go. Get your name on that list. And that is the Landscaper Circle forward slash accelerate. So I will see you next week. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks, guys.